Grace Church, Medina East Campus. How's it going? My name is Dan, and like Tommy said, I just want to welcome you to our online weekend experience. It's so awesome to have you here. We're glad that you're here, and we love you guys. And so uh, as we continue on our uh, kind of worship experience, we just want to kind of uh, illuminate what worship really is. And so worship is responding uh, to the glory of God. And there's a variety of ways that you can do that, whether it's singing or just acknowledging uh, the presence of Jesus. But one cool way uh, to worship is actually to give back to Jesus uh, some of what he's given to us. And that can occur uh, in the act of financial giving. So before we jump into our conversation, I just want to let you know about this thing called text to give. So if you're interested uh, in giving online, uh, but you're not quite sure how to do it, you can text the letters G-I-V-E to the number that's on your screen right there, 844-806-4608. And you'll be given instructions on how to uh, connect uh, to the heart of God in the act of uh, worship and giving. And so uh, we're stoked about that. We're excited about it. I hope you get a chance to do that. Now, if you already give online, that's cool. You can just continue to do uh, do it how you've been doing it. But uh, we want to give you that other option as well. And so for for that and all other uh, happenings uh, here at Medina East, you can check out our website at medinaeast.gracechurches.org. And again, we're excited to uh, continue our conversation uh, in emotions here today. All right. Love you guys. Thanks a lot. Hey, well, thanks so much for joining us in week four of our series uh, that's called Emotions. And so in the series, uh, what we're doing is we're talking about emotions. And uh, I think all of us uh, would agree that our emotions can sometimes be you know, pretty confusing and sometimes they can be hard to know what to do with. And so really in the series, what we've been doing is we've been kind of looking at the Bible to help us uh, untangle and to sort through Uh, how to make sense of our emotions. And so just to summarize a little bit, like I said, this is week four, but just to summarize, so far as we've looked in the Bible, what we found is this, is we said that uh, emotions are from God and and they're good. And so uh, what the Bible says is that uh, that we as people are created in God's image and part of what it means to be made in God's image is that we are emotional creatures. And then we said that emotions are intended to to move us, that one of the intentions uh, that God has put in emotions is that our emotions will mobilize us and move us to the things that we value. They help us put our values in uh, motion. And then we said this, we said emotions reveal our values and our affections, that the things that we care most about and we value most are directly connected to and tied to our uh, emotions. And so we talked about this and we said, while all of this is true, we also learned that ever since uh, kind of like in Genesis chapter three, when humanity first turned away from God, that our emotions have become miscalibrated, that our emotions now have the potential to mislead us. They have the potential to lead us into sometimes some very hurtful and some very harmful places. And so I just want to say, if you missed uh, any of those previous weeks, I'd encourage you to go back and check that out. I think it might be very helpful for you as we continue in this series. But today uh, we're going to zoom in and we're going to talk about uh, the emotion of anxiety. So we're going to talk today about untangling anxiety. And man, this is definitely a big topic, right? Uh, This is one that uh, no doubt is very pertinent to the place that we find ourselves in today as a society. And, uh, and so I think as we, as we start to dig into uh, this, this very powerful emotion, it might be helpful if I just give us a, a, a quick definition. So this is actually a medical definition of anxiety. It would be this. Anxiety is a feeling of worry 
uh, nervousness, fear, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And so you can even see in, uh, in this definition, and there's a lot of definitions like this, anxiety is associated with stress. It's, anxi- it's, it's associated with worry. In a lot of ways, you could think about it like this. Anxiety is kind of like a species of fear. And it's a, it's, a, it's a type of fear that's usually related to the unknown. It's related to the future. Uh, I like the way Max Licato put it in his, uh, his book uh, called Anxious for Nothing. He said, anxiety is often the consequence of perceived chaos. If we sense that we're victims of unseen, turbulent, random forces, we're troubled, right? And so, so basically, anxiety is kind of this sense of, um, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to be safe. Uh, I'm afraid that something bad might happen, or I feel like uh, maybe in some way or another that I'm in danger. And, uh, and apparently, we live in the most anxious nation in the most anxious moments in the history of the world. In fact, that's what studies have shown us. And so, for example, just to give you a few, there's a ton of these, but uh, according to Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting around 40 million adults. That's almost one in five. One in five of us would say that we struggle uh, with anxiety in a way that we would say that it's, uh, it's, it's even to the place where it would be a disorder. Um, Uh, In uh, Slate, they would say that the United States is now the most anxious nation in the world. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity, while our usage of sedative drugs keeps skyrocketing, right? How about this? In August of 2018, Barnes & Nobles, who uh, are the largest book retailer in the U.S., announced a huge surge in sales of books about anxiety, a 25% jump from the year previous to that. And then, of course, one of the other things studies is is showing is that each generation is getting increasingly more anxious than the generation that came before it. According to one study, anxiety disorders affect now 25.1% of children between 13 and 18 years old. And so there's a lot of statistics that are out there about that to talk about how we live in the most anxious nation in the most anxious time. Now, get this, though. All of these things I'm showing you, uh, these were written. These were written before COVID-19. And so, man, you think about that's pretty wild, right? Before this global pandemic happened, there already was this kind of pre-existing undercurrent of anxiety that already was in our society. And so I would say today, maybe more than ever, uh, there is a need to talk about this very, very powerful emotion. And it is a very powerful emotion. I I think all of us know that, that anxiety, that the idea of worry and fear of the future um, if it's not handled well, it has the ability to choke out so much of the good things that we can experience in this life. You know, Jesus actually said something very similar to that in, uh, in Mark chapter 4. Uh, Jesus actually gave a, a pretty famous parable, and he was talking about, about seed falling on different soils. You might remember this parable. And in it, he actually said that his word is like seed. And he said it's like a seed that when it's planted into the soil of the human heart, it grows into a fruitful life, the life that he desires. And in other words, I think what Jesus is saying is that by the promises and power of his word, God wants to produce like some really amazing stuff in and through you. He wants to create a fruitful life, a fruitful character, a fruitful love. But Jesus said something uh, that when that sometimes this seeds falls on thorny soil or among the thorns. And here's what here's what Jesus said in Mark four. He said, "Still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word." Now look at this. But the worries or anxieties of this life come in, 
and they choke out the word, making it unfruitful. And so Jesus says, listen, the worries of this life, they have the potential to choke out the fruitfulness that God desires to bring about in your life. In fact, you know, it's, I think it's really fascinating. The word worry, I don't know if you know this, comes from the old English word, which actually means to strangle or to choke. And man, isn't that, isn't that true? I think it's really insightful because just think about it for a moment. Isn't it true? I think all of us would, would agree with this, that strong feelings of anxiety and worry can lead us to a lot of harmful, painful decisions and habits in our life. Anxiety, just think about this for a moment. Anxiety has the power to lead us to dishonesty. Uh, if I feel nervous about not getting the grade that I want or not doing well at work, like I might be tempted to lie or to cheat. Right? Anxiety about money um, can lead me to being greedy, to hoarding. It can lead me to cutting corners, to stealing or being envious of other people. Uh, anxiety about dating, like maybe some of you are kind of in that place where there's anxiety about relationships. That can lead you to compromise in, in your relationships. Anxiety about you know, being accepted and liked can lead us to embellishing, can lead us to exaggerating, and it can lead us to say, saying like pretty socially awkward things at parties. Um, anxiety can lead you to substance abuse. It can lead you to other unhealthy habits of self-medicating or even escapism. And so I, I, all that to say, I think we kind of know this, that anxiety can truly rob us of the good things that God desires for us. So the question then is, what do we do with this powerful uh, but common emotion? Now, let me just take, take a moment, and, and I want to be sure to say uh, that for some of you, uh, there are other factors going on in your anxiety that have to do with your physiological makeup or maybe your past traumatic experiences. And so I want to be careful not to oversimplify this emotion. I don't want to collapse all of anxiety, the problems that we face in anxiety, into one single bucket. In fact, uh, I think it's interesting. Neurologists and psychologists today uh, actually reveal some pretty interesting studies about our emotional makeup. And so, for example, one psychologist by the name of uh, Sonia um, not quite sure how to pronounce her last name. We'll go ahead and let you give that a shot. Uh, but she actually wrote a really fascinating book called The How of Happiness, and she looks into the science behind our emotional makeup. And what she said and what the studies have shown, I thought was pretty fascinating. They said that our emotional makeup is 50% determined by our genetic tendencies, that basically our genes, our kind of our DNA, has an effect on, on our emotions, that we're just kind of born in certain ways. 10%, according to science, is circumstantial, right? It's events that have happened in our lives, those type of things. 40%, though, is intentional actions. It's, it's kind of what we do. So according to the science, at least what they're saying right now, um, some of us just so happen to be more inclined towards anxiety, towards depression. That is just a predisposition in us. In fact, I just tell you just a little bit about myself. I, I happen to be one of those people. Uh, I know for me, it's kind of always been my kind of my MO that when I wake up, I tend to wake up more anxious. Uh, my wife is actually the exact opposite of that. When she wakes up, she's pretty much happy and she's pretty much in a good. My, my wife won the genetic lottery pretty much in every way possible. I, on the other hand, I wake up and I kind of feel like Eeyore. And so I kind of have to figure out how to adjust to that. And so I actually will say that this, this particular emotion is one 
It actually hits pretty close close to home for me. Uh, I've had some uh, pretty intense struggles with anxiety throughout my life. And so this is an area that I can relate with some of you in. And I'm actually trying to untangle even, even myself in some ways. In fact, let me just say that if you're a person who maybe is inclined towards anxiety, if you kind of have a predisposition that way, and you're looking for some further resources, there actually is a really helpful book that was helpful to me. So I'll just kind of recommend it to you. Uh, that was called The Anxiety Cure. And I found this book to be both, uh, both very practical, a lot of real, real helpful practical things, and also biblical. And so I thought it was a, a good read, and I might encourage you uh, to read that if you, if you get a chance. But I think as we see, uh, some of our inclination in this area right, is genetic. Uh, some of it is because of past experiences and circumstances. So what we want to talk about here is we want to talk about the 40%. Right? That's what we want to kind of focus in on. What do we do when anxiety shows up? It's going to show up in all of our lives, for some of us more frequently than others. But what do we do when it does show up? What are the actions that we uh, kind of take? And so this is where we're going to get into the Bible. So if you got a Bible, I actually want to encourage you to go ahead and open that up. I would love it if you had that there in front of you. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. Okay, so Matthew chapter 6 is where I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles. We're actually going to look at maybe Jesus's most famous teaching on the topic of anxiety and worry. And I believe what we're about to dig into here, um, a little bit of a preview, I believe that what Jesus is going to say about worry and anxiety is so extraordinary that what Jesus has to offer in regards to anxiety is so amazing that if you're a person that doesn't follow Jesus, so maybe you're kind of investigating Christ, I think that this teaching alone may want you to consider potentially following Jesus. I think it's that powerful. So let's take a look at it. We'll go ahead and read uh, just kind of this whole section, and then we'll, we'll pick it apart a little bit. Okay, so Matthew uh, chapter 6, starting off in verse 25, here's what Jesus says. He says, uh, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you'll drink, or about your body or about what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you so anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And man, here you have it, right? This is, this is Jesus' life-giving teaching about anxiety. And you can tell, even just through reading this, that that is the topic of, of this. He, Jesus mentions the word anxiety, or some of your translations say worry, six times throughout this passage. And I think that when you dig, dig into this and you pick it apart, I think what we're going to see is that Jesus reveals to us that in the face of anxiety, that there's three things. There's actually three things that we, we can do. And what are they? Well, let me tell you what they are, and then we'll, we'll dig them apart a little bit. So here they are. I think Jesus is going to say, in the face of anxiety, we need to, first and foremost, we need to interrogate our anxiety. We need to interrogate that. And secondly, I think we need to preach to our anxiety. I think Jesus is going to show us this here. And then lastly, we need to run to God. We need to run 
to God with our anxieties. Okay, so these three things. All right, so where are we seeing this? Well, let's, let's start at the top. We'll talk about this idea of interrogating your anxiety. Now, hopefully you got your Bible there in front of you. I want you to notice, if you look at this passage, it's, it's easy to read right past it, but I want you to notice um, that Jesus in this section, in the face of anxiety, is asking a ton of questions, right? Jesus asked a, notice how many question marks there are in this segment. So, so for example, uh, verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Question mark. It's a question. Verse 26, are you not more valuable than, than the birds? Question mark. Uh, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Question mark. Which, by the way, is a great question, right? You can't add a single hour to your life by worrying or being anxious. You can subtract from your life, but you can't add. Verse 28, <clears throat> why are you anxious about your clothing? Um, will he not, will God not so much more provide clothing for, oh, you of little faith? Question mark. And so notice, Jesus is just is just asking a ton of questions in here. And I think what that reveals to us is that what Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't simply say, just don't be anxious, period. That's not what he says. Jesus doesn't say in his teaching about worry and anxiety, he doesn't say, listen, just don't think about the stuff that makes you anxious. He doesn't say that. In fact, notice what he says. In, in one sense, it's almost like Jesus says, no, 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 think harder about the things that make you anxious. In other words, I think what he's saying is think it through. Don't just accept your anxiety at face value. You need to interrogate it. You need to pull it apart. You need to ask it a litany of questions. You know, I think oftentimes worry and anxiety, we allow it to interrogate us. Right? If you think about it, isn't that true? Anxiety and worry, it batters us with questions and concerns about things that are outside of our control. And so we lay in bed or wherever you might be, and we just we just sit there and we all of these questions, our anxiety interrogates us. What's gonna happen if this if this doesn't work out? Am I gonna be okay? What if I'm harmed? What if I'm hurt? What if Starbucks Starbucks closes through all of this? And we start to think about all of these questions that that kind of come into our mind. And so for some of us, I think we feel so powerless over anxiety and worry. Like we are in the witness stand and anxiety is prosecuting us. But yet you see something Jesus is doing here is very different. Jesus seems to be the one who's cross-examining anxiety and worry itself. And so I think what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, listen, don't ignore anxiety. But I think he's also saying, but don't accept it either. But rather question it. I think Jesus is inviting us to do that. Examine it, deconstruct it, pull it apart. And so I think in times of anxiety, actually a good starting place is we need to ask some deeper questions. We need to step outside of the worry and we need to actually interrogate and ask some questions. So what, what kind of questions? Well, maybe deeper questions like this. How about this one? Um, where is this coming from? Okay, so I feel anxious. I feel, where, 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 where is this coming from? Why am I so scared or worried? Like, like really, what, what's actually happening in my heart right now that makes me feel so concerned about this? Is my fear and worry based in reality? That's a big question. You know, or is, is this fear, is this worry based on something that's illogical or maybe something that's outside of my control? I love the way Mark Twain put it. You guys might, 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 may have heard this before. Mark Twain, of course, who was such a witty personality. He said, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. And I love that. I think that's just so true. Um, how about this question? What do I think worrying is going gonna, is gonna to change? 
by worrying, what do I think this is going to accomplish? What is causing this feeling to persist within me? And again, these questions, they might seem like simple questions, but uh, they are simple, but they're not easy. They're not easy to ask. And I'll be honest, it's not easy to do this. It's far easier to entertain anxiety and to allow it to work on us than it is to question it and to work on it. And I think, I think for, for some of us, honestly, we'd, we might actually be scared to ask these questions and to drill down because maybe we're uh, kind of afraid of what we're going to find. This, by the way, is, is why I think community is so unbelievably important. You know, p- part of uh, being in relationships with other people, one-on-one or in community, is that you can help each other process through questions like this in the face of anxiety. You don't have to face it alone. And so I think Jesus invites us to do this. He says, question it, interrogate our anxiety. And I think the reason that Jesus does this is because he knows that the issue behind our anxiety is that it actually reveals something about our faith and it reveals something about our values. In fact, I don't think it's by any coincidence that Jesus begins his teaching on worry right after a very key statement he makes in verse 24. Let me just show you this real quick. Notice in verse 25, when he starts his teaching on anxiety, he says, therefore, which refers back to verse 24, where Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. So Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Now you see the connection here. I think what Jesus is doing here is really insightful. I think he's saying that there is a connection between what you worry about and what you worship. Now, I really love the way that Untangling Emotions, it's a book that I've uh, referenced in the past couple of weeks. I like the way that they said it. Here's what, the, here's what the book says. It says, anxiety is very much associated with fear. Fear, whether mild uneasiness or abject terror, has a simple message. Something you value is under threat. Something bad might happen to someone you care about or to something you care about. And so because of this and because fear is so common to us, your fears are probably the single best map of what you actually value. So I think, I think here is where anxiety can actually be utilized in a very positive way. You know, times of uncertainty and times of anxiety really serve as a value detector, they have a way of showing us what we truly value the most. I'll put it another way. I think we stress out about the things that we most stress. I think that we, we worry the most about, about the things that we are the most devoted to. And I think that's what Jesus is actually telling us here. And, you know, I think, you guys, as we live through this, this lockdown period of time, you know, I, I think that we are being given, in some ways, a very unique opportunity to observe ourselves under difficult circumstances. You know, in a lot of ways, it's almost like we're in a laboratory uh, with lots of normal elements of our life just taken out right now. And what many of us might be discovering is that we're experiencing emotions in a way that we are normally too busy to notice. And honestly, that might be a good thing. Maybe it's an invitation to drill down and to look a little deeper and to ask some of these questions. What's going on in my heart? And so in this time, maybe this, maybe ask yourself, even right now, just ask yourself this question. What am I the most anxious about right now? What do I find that I'm the most worried about? Is it the economy? Is it your job? Is it relationships? Maybe it's family. What is it that you're most worried about? And here's the question. Why? I mean, just, just think that through for a minute. Why that? Why is that the thing that you're the most concerned about? What does that tell you about what you value? What does that tell you about your faith? 
And so, so listen, there's, there are a lot of helpful ways to manage your anxiety that's out there for sure. But honestly, if you don't get down to the root issue behind your anxieties, you might just be mowing the weeds, right? Only to find that they pop right back up again. I don't know about you, but when I mow my lawn, that's pretty much what I'm doing. I'm mowing weeds and it looks nice for a couple of days, but then they're back up again. And, and so at some point we have to drill down and get to the root. So before you try to exercise your anxiety away, before you try to chase it off with another episode of whatever movie or show that you're watching, why don't you first interrogate it? Why, what is your worry revealing about your faith and your values? So the first thing we'd say is interrogate, interrogate. The second thing is actually somewhat similar, but a little different. And that's that we need to preach to our anxieties. We need to preach. Now, I want you to notice here, with each perceived worry, uh, Jesus refutes by declaring what is true about God. And, and so, so check this out. Verse 25, he says, um, he says, don't worry in verse 25. Now check this out. In verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns. And, and he says, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And so he comes in, he says, look at the birds and think about how your father takes care of them. Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, what, what is he doing here? Do you see this? Well, he's, he's not only interrogating his anxieties, he's preaching to them. He's saying, listen, remember, remember who God is in the midst of this. And I want you to notice that Jesus actually points something out that I think is really insightful in verse 30. He says this, he says, how much more is your heavenly father going to clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. See, and I think this reveals that according to Jesus, for the Christian, the root of anxiety is little faith. It actually is true. For those of us who follow Christ, what Jesus is going to say, it all boils down to this. It's a lack of faith in our Heavenly Father. Anxiety is the result of when unbelief gets the upper hand in our hearts. I think, by the way, that's why Jesus, in the very next verse, brings up this idea of the Gentiles. He says, the Gentiles seek after all of these things. Now, if you're not sure what a Gentile is, a Gentile is basically a person who didn't know God, didn't worship God, and didn't follow God back in this time. And so what Jesus is saying is, why would you live like that? Why would you live as a person who believes that there's no God for those of us who follow Christ? Or live like a Gentile who believes that if there is a God, that that God must just be like a capricious bully or something like that. And so I believe, here's what I believe. I believe that anxiety, and I believe what Jesus is teaching us, is that anxiety operates off of the premise that God is not close God is not close, that God does not care, and that God is not competent. I think that's anxiety operates off of that premise. And yet I think Jesus here preaches to that. He counteracts that. He says, no, God is close. He already knows what you need and he cares. He's your father in heaven. How much more does he care about you than the birds or than the flowers? And he's more competent than you can imagine. He can take care of the smallest details of the universe, and that takes no effort for him whatsoever. And so I think Jesus comes in, and he, what's he doing here? He is preaching. In fact, did you know um, that the most common commandment in the Bible, in some form or another, you know what it is? The most common commandment in the Bible is this right here. Fear not. 
That's what you're going to find all throughout the pages of Scripture. Now, you can take that, that as a commandment, like as a rebuke, which I don't think it is. Like, you know, if my kids are scared, like if my daughter had a nightmare, I'm not going to rush into a room and be like, fear not, you know, that kind of thing. You could take it as, a, as like a rebuke, or you could take it as an invitation. Because, you know, what's interesting is whenever you find this in the Bible, somewhere in the orbit of that statement is the promise of God's presence. Fear not. Why? Because God's close by. Because he cares for you, because he's close to you, and because he's competent. And so for those of us who trust and follow Jesus, we have to preach to ourselves. You know, I think another, another great place you see this is actually in Psalm 42. It's a great example. This is actually King David, uh, a king back in Israel, uh, uh, back in the Old Testament. He says this, he says, Why, my soul, are you, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I love this. Do you notice what David's doing? You see this. First off, he's interrogating He's interrogating his soul. <laughs> Why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? And then notice what he does. Put your hope in God. For I will praise him. He's preaching. He's preaching to his soul at this point. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, in his excellent book, Spiritual Depression, which I referred to, I would encourage you to read if you get a chance. I love the way he said this. You got you to tune in for this. This is so good what he says. He says, notice the psalmist address, addresses himself. He's talking about Psalm 42. He talks to himself. And herein, he discovers the cure. The main problem is this. We often allow ourself to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. Most unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we listen to ourselves instead of talk to ourselves. That's really good. Now look what he says next. David, King David, in effect says, self, listen for a moment to what I have to say. I like that. It's like you take yourself by the collar. Self, listen to me. Why are you so downcast, right? The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. Question yourself and preach to yourself. You must remind yourself who God is and what God has done and what God has promised to do. I really love that. We have to preach to ourselves. Again, this, I got to say it again. This is why community is so important being connected to other followers of Jesus. Because, you know, quite honestly, sometimes we need to borrow the faith of another person. And we need to allow them to help us process through what is true in the midst of my anxiety. Now, again, this is not always easy, but it is essential. So we have to interrogate our anxieties. We have to preach them. And then this is the final one, in my opinion, the greatest of the three. And it's this, is that we need to run to God with them. Run to God with our anxieties. And by the way, I don't think we do these things sequentially. I think we do these things all at the same time. You know, we, we're, we're interrogating, we're preaching, and we're talking to God in the whole process. I, I want to show you something I think is kind of cool in what Jesus says here in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, that uh, in verse 32 and 33, and I want to draw this out. Um, it's actually something that's in the original language that can be missed, but I think it's so good and so clarifying. So let, let me show you what Jesus does here. He says in verse 32, he says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, see, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Now, you'll notice that he uses this word twice, the word seek. The Gentiles seek after all these things, but those who follow Jesus, he says, should seek first his, his kingdom. Now, that's the same word that's used there, and I think Jesus does this very intentionally. The word itself, to seek, means to pursue, it means to strive after. In some translations, like you might have a translation that says run after, running after, pursuing this. I think that's helpful. 
Like it's very helpful. Um, I gave you a medical definition of anxiety at the beginning of this talk. I wanna give you a biblical one right now. So the biblical word for anxiety, let me show you what that is. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce it. You could talk to Pastor Seth if you wanna hear that. Um, but here, here's what it means. It means to be full of cares, worry, or trouble. Now check this out. It actually comes from the root word, which means part or divide, to be divided. And so biblically, what does it mean to be anxious? Here's what it means. It means to be in pieces. It means to have divided attention. It means to have divided affection. It means to be divided in your hope, in your confidence. I think that's why Jesus in this passage says that the, 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 the Gentiles are running after all of, all of these things. He says, but you are to run after one thing. There's one thing. Jesus actually um, does a similar play on words in another place in the Bible. I think it's actually pretty cool. In, in Luke chapter 10, there's an interesting story about these two sisters. One is named Mary and the other one is named Martha. And you might remember this story if you're a Bible person, but basically uh, Martha and Mary are having Jesus over for dinner. Martha's getting everything ready, right? She's cooking, she's cleaning, she's getting everything moving and she's focusing her attention in a million different directions. And all the while, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know, she's just talking with Jesus and she's taking her cares to Jesus. And so Martha sees this and she just gets ticked off and she runs in there and she's like, Jesus, would you tell Mary to help me? I'm so busy right now. And I love what Jesus says. Here's the play on words. Check this out. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. You are anxious. Right? You are divided about many things. You're focused on a lot of things. He says, but only one thing is necessary. Just one thing. See, see what he's saying is Martha's distracted. Martha's divided. She's got too many goals. And, and, and Mary's focusing on one thing. And, and Jesus is saying, Martha, I am, I'm one of the 300 things that you're thinking about. But peace comes in undivided hope in Jesus. So I think what the Bible is going to say is that there's one place where we should take our anxieties. There's one place where we should take our hope and we should take all of our fears and place them. And the Bible is going to say that that's to our Father. That's right to God. That that's the place that the one place that we should take our anxieties. First Peter 5, 7 says it so well. I love what Peter says. He says, cast all your anxiety on him, on your father. Why? Because he cares for you. I love that. He's like, throw it on God. That's where it belongs. I'll tell you what I like so much too. I've been thinking about this. The word cast is very interesting to me. Uh, Peter, uh, some of you know, it was a fisherman. He was a, that's what he did by trade. And I, I couldn't help but wonder, if maybe one of the pictures he had in mind was uh, the idea of, a, of casting a net. There's a kind, of, a kind of net that fishermen used back in this day. It was called a cast net. And I don't know if you've ever seen anyone utilize a cast net before, but what they would do is they would take this net and they wouldn't just like gently throw it. They would like hurl this thing. In fact, I actually found this quick, uh, this quick gif. This is a dude throwing a cast net. Check this out. I mean, you see that? That is a full body activity. In fact, let's watch that one more time. Check this out. And so, so Peter says, when he comes in here, he says, listen, we need to take our anxieties. We need to take our cares and we need to hurl them onto God. We need to exert energy and strength to throw those things, those stinky, heavy, soggy anxieties. He says, we need to put those onto God. I think what the Bible is telling us is the proper place for our worry the proper place for anxieties is, 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 is our Father. It's prayer. We take it to prayer. Philippians 4, 
maybe one of the most incredible, outrageous promises that we have in all of Scripture says this very thing. Check this out. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Wow, that's amazing. He says, listen, don't be anxious. Trade your anxiety and bring it to prayer. Now, I think this is really insightful. If you think about it, worry and anxiety and prayer are not entirely different things. What is worry? Here's what worry is. Worry is self-addressed prayer. You are petitioning. You are taking your anxiety. You are taking your petitions. You're taking your requests right to yourself. Here's what prayer is. It's the same thing. It's you just change the address. You send it to God. I love what Martin Luther said. He said, he said this, pray and let God worry. I love that. Basically, basically it's saying this. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is saying, God, somebody, somebody needs to worry about this. So God, you do it. That's what it is. It's saying, God, someone needs to stay up all night and think about this. So you do it. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go to bed. That, that's what it is. And, and listen, I think this passage tells us it's not our job to figure out how God is going to do that. It's simply our job to ask him and then look at this and to thank him and to thank him and to trust him and to say, man, God's got this. And, and, pray, and what prayer does is it lets God be God and it lets me be me. And it helps recenter that. And notice he also says that we should pray in every situation, every situation. You know, I think this is great because for some of us, we think, uh, I've actually heard some folks say this before. They'll say, I don't, you know, I don't want to bother God with my little stuff and I'll just pray about the big stuff. You know, I know that there's, there's people who have coronavirus. There's people that are in really bad situations right now. And I might be anxious about, you know, my little thing, but I'm not going to bring that to God because I don't want to trouble him. So can I just gently and lovingly correct that thinking? Okay. Listen, God is eternal. He is not like us. It's not like God is like, look, I don't have time for your little requests, okay? I'm kind of busy over here doing big stuff. No, no, no. You're underestimating the size of God. And God says, no, I want you to take everything to me. I want you to take everything. I think you see this idea in Romans 8 in such a powerful way. Romans 8, he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see the logic? I love that logic. He's saying, listen, just think about what God has already done for you. He died for you. Right? He, he has purchased you with his blood. And since he's done the greater thing, will he not also now do the lesser for you? And so the Bible says, take everything to him. Take everything. Run your anxiety to God. Let your request be made known to him and pray honestly. I love what the Bible's saying. It's not saying stuff your anxieties down. It says, no, let them rise. Sometimes we think it's ungodly to to uh, allow our anxieties to be vocalized. But the Bible says, no, don't push them down. Pray about them and pray honestly. Pray honestly. I think for some of us, quite honestly, we need to take the filter off of our prayer life. Like we're, like we're going to be able to hide anything from God. And so we can come to God and we can say, God, I am anxious about this. God, I am worried. God, I'm scared. And I, I know that you're my father and that you care for me, but right now I can't seem to shake it. Would you help me, God. And we can come to him honestly. And the Bible, the Bible tells us that when we do that, there's this incredible promise on offer to us. And the Bible says that God will take our anxiety and he will replace it with his peace, 
and the peace of God, not the peace of, of my you know, situation being resolved the way that I hope it would be, not the peace of having enough money in the bank, not the peace of being in the relationship I want to be in, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how do you know when you have a peace that surpasses understanding? I think you know when you're in a situation where you have no logical reason to be at peace, and yet you are. You find yourself in a situation that's chaotic and that's stressful, maybe like the one we're in right now, and yet there's a sense of peace within that. I think that's what it means, and that's the promise that God has for us. You know, I was trying to think about practically what this looks like, and I I was reminded um, of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. in his autobiography. He actually wrote about uh, an incredible situation that happened in his life. And in his autobiography, he writes about an event that happened right before the civil rights movement really heated up. And so uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was starting to, to rise in popularity. His voice was starting to become heard, and there was threats all around him. In fact, his, the, the, the well-being of his family was threatened on a regular basis. And, of course, I think all of us know that during the Civil Rights Movement, he displayed such an incredible courage, and he was an anchor of hope and strength for so many people in the midst of that time. And he actually writes about a circumstance that preempted everything that happened in the Civil Rights Movement, his courage and his strength. And I want to read. I want to read to you what he wrote in his autobiography when when he when he wrote this. I think it's really powerful. It seemed that all my fears had come down on me at once. I had reached the saturation point. I had heard these things before, but for some reason that night it got to me. I turned over and I tried to go to sleep, but I couldn't sleep. I was frustrated, bewildered, and then I got up. Finally, I went into the kitchen and I heated a pot of coffee. I was ready to give up. And with my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. And I got to the point that I could take it no longer. I was weak. Something said to me, you can't call on daddy now and you can't even call on mama. You've got to call on that something in that person that your daddy used to tell you about. That power that can make a way out of no way. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and I prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I'm here taking a stand for what I believe is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. Now I'm afraid. And I can't let the people see me like this because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. The people are looking to me for leadership. And if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. And it seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. I tell you, I've seen the lightning flash. I've heard the thunder roar. I have felt sin breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. But I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still to fight on. He promised never to leave me alone. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I have never experienced him before. Almost at once, my fears begin to go. My uncertainty disappeared and I was ready to face anything.
you know, I think, I think sometimes when we think about um, prayer, when I say that we should pray in our anxiety, it might sound cliche, but, but it's not. It's, it's just not. And there is a powerful promise that God has for us in that. So concluding, listen, anxiety is a signal, and it's an invitation to trust God. It's an invitation to lean in on Him. Listen, maybe, maybe you feel like you're in a place of anxiety and chaos. Can I offer you to, to respond to this invitation, to interrogate your, your anxieties, to preach to them, and then, and then to cry out to God, call out to Him, and He'll meet you. Listen, because He's close, because He cares, and because He's competent. And let me just also say that if you, if you find yourself in kind of the thick of this emotion, like you don't have to fight alone. Like that's why it's so important to get connected to other followers of Jesus. If you're not in a life group, get in a life group. Our life groups, many of them are still meeting via Zoom during this time. We'd love to have you at one of those. You can fill out one of the connect cards and get connected that way. Why don't we pray together? Well, Father, we want to say thank you so much that we can be free from the heavy weight of anxiety because we know you're close, because we know you care, and because we know you're competent. And so, God, I want to pray for everyone who's watching this right now, and specifically for those who are carrying an extra weight of worry and anxiety. I pray that we'd find life in what you taught. Lord, help us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.